Hi, everybody. I'm your host, Jill Harding, and you're listening to I've Got a Feeling, the podcast where we discuss what grounds us, what makes us feel alive, what fuels our hearts, and ultimately what brings us each to flourishing. On this podcast, I have conversations with friends I've known for ages, people I've only just met, and people who inspire me by how they demonstrate flourishing, at least from my vantage point. The guests on this show are from a wide variety of backgrounds, belief systems, and life experiences, and I hope that from these interviews, you gain a sense of the breadth of unique examples of what flourishing can look like, and take these ideas as inspiration to discover how you might create wellness and flourishing in your own life. Welcome back to I've Got a Feeling podcast. Today we have my neighbor and friend, Bliss Bowden, on, and I'm so excited to share this conversation with you. She is a birth and postpartum doula. She has put a lot of work into developing her own understanding of flourishing for herself, and I loved speaking with her about what seasons of life can look like, how you can pursue flourishing in all different types of seasons, and how can you respond to your needs in a way that seeks balance and not overcompensation. So welcome to today's episode, and I hope you enjoy. Okay, welcome back to another episode of I've Got a Feeling, and welcome to my friend and neighbor Bliss. I just introduced her previously, but we met each other, what would you say, was it I think it was summer 2020. Yeah, like, or 2019 even. No. I guess I bought this house in 2020. 2020. So, so we, mm-hmm. I moved on to the corner. That's right. And developed a very quick or um, adopted a quick little community that had already been mm-hmm. happening. So welcome. And so we've been backdoor neighbors for several years now. Yep. And through new babies and mm-hmm. lots of COVID and mm-hmm. so many seasons. Mm-hmm. What would I do without this little neighborhood of women? It's so beautiful. We really do have such a little um, kind of a grounding space back here. And we're all very different stages of life, mm-hmm. different, come from different places, but it's a little, a little bedrock of a corner. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, <laughs> me too. And you're coming here with some different perspective on flourishing too than some of some of who I've talked to because not only do you exhibit an awareness and an intention around flourishing, which is why I wanted to have you on, but you also are a doula, which is very focused on how do we flourish in this environment that like can can be scary, can have medical fear around it, and. Mm-hmm. You work very hard to develop those things with your clients. So I'm excited Mm -hmm. to talk to you. I'm curious in this season that you're in right now, personally, Mm -hmm. how have you, how would you say you relate to the word flourishing? Does it feel something that you're connected to? Yeah, because I love the word flourishing, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's so much more than growth or expansion or, you know, but it, it encompasses those things. Um, for me, I am constantly assessing and checking in with myself when I, when I have the space to, so Mm -hmm. the season I'm in is about to have a third baby. Mm -hmm. Um, and 
each time I have had my only experiences with depression, um, being in it, not knowing the first time what was happening really, and then realizing it. But when you're in it, it's quite hard. The depression itself. Yeah. Yeah. And then the second time around, which was a, I had a baby during COVID and no family and no community, no connection, no touch, you know, Mm -hmm. then I knew, oh, this is back. And it was worse, understandably, I think. I had a two-year-old or a not quite two-year-old and a new baby and then just isolation on top of the regular isolation. So (laughs) I'm a generally sunshiny person. I wake up really I'm very very lucky and I know I know a huge part of it is chemical Mm. um I just am that happy sunshiny person mostly and so the depression that came with both my postpartums for the first kind of six to eight months the second time around I think Mm. um was a real like a real knocked me but also gave me an insight into the other end of the spectrum to my kind of easy joyfulness Mm. and not that I disregarded that in other people before at all but now I understand what it can be a bit better and so if we're talking about flourishing I that's an one of the reasons why I in this particular season am checking in because I'm about two months away from having a baby and so I'm pretty sure I'm about two months away from having if not as bad as it was last time, a pretty intense emotional dip. Yeah. And I'm just doing what I can do to do the things that I do that make me feel like I'm flourishing, like pouring into all my cups is Mm -hmm. kind of what I think of and balanced, you know. Um, I think you and I have spoken a little bit about the Enneagram. Yeah. I was just talking to someone yesterday about it. It it reminded me that um, I had a conversation with someone who said, you know, whatever your Enneagram number is and who you are, there's the side of it that's hyper-stimulated and Mm. can, it's not negative or positive. It's just hyper-stimulated. Then on the flip side of that, there's understimulated. So if you're a seven or a two or whatever, what does an understimulated two look like? Interesting. Uh, another word for that would be depressed, I guess, yeah. you know. And then what a, a true seven or two or whatever is, is the balance in the middle that mm. helps you flourish because you've arrived at the best of what that seven is, Yeah. you know. Um, so it... That conversation has really helped me um, recognize when I'm, yeah, like really heightened, vibrating really hard at that, but that peak level. And that's not, that's not healthy. Just Mm -hmm. like being in a funk isn't healthy or balanced, you know, and then recognizing when I am balanced and flourishing, doing the, the best that I can be, you know? Yeah. You know, in the last episode, um, my guest and I introduced the idea of the Enneagram for people who didn't know, and we talked a bit about it as well. And I think that what you're saying is so helpful also because 
not that maybe we don't all naturally have a desire to know ourselves more, but you're indicating that having that kind of awareness of maybe the edges of the movement that your own experience can take Mm -hmm. helps to normalize some of those things that can feel more extreme when you're in them. Mm -hmm. But it it helps you to know too that it's maybe seasonal and it can come back to Mm -hmm. center. Yeah. Which, you know, as you said in the beginning, you really don't fully in a gut sense know what it means to be depressed until you've had depression. Mm -hmm. And once, and it's, it's something you can get lost in if you, Mm -hmm. if you can't see it as, seasonal Mm -hmm. you know yeah and I love that some of these tools are available to us to to know and become familiar and intimate with what those different seasons can look like for us and how we function in the world and what motivates us yeah I think it's hard like in the winter season if we're talking about a funk or depression a depression having depression living through grief you know whatever let's talk about it as kind of winter or fall mm-hmm. things aren't in the earth like sprouting up it's not new life it's not the season of baby bunnies and tulips you know it's not colorful mm-hmm. especially in like where i'm living now versus australia right <laughs> which has a different winter <laughs> but it's gray there's no leaves on the trees, the grass dies, like it's all encompassing. And that if you're living through that season emotionally, it can feel really hard. You know, when you're in January, don't you think about April's such a long way away? It's like, is it ever coming? Yeah. You know, and I have learned along the way, I'm going to be 40 in a couple of years. So it's been a second as an adult on a journey of how do I respond to where I am and what I need to find that balance. Mm -hmm. And I used to seek the hyper positive, the super stimulated. Um, Like in my 20s, there was very living around the world but you know I would get bored somewhere or challenged or triggered by something and Mm. I would literally buy a plane ticket and move somewhere else in the world you know (laughs) yeah um actually physically escaping dealing with the come down if you will Mm -hmm. um and so this feels really like flourishing for me now is grounded and stable and um intentional it's a great word that you use and I yeah conscious is a word that I use a lot like I'm consciously seeking to give myself what I now know a bit more about that I need like lots of social interaction followed by or partnered with lots of space and alone time yeah which is hard to find in a house of two small children. <laughs> yeah. But you just got to do what you got to do. That's a bath for me. That's yeah. a really long shower at like nine o'clock at night when no one's awake or simple, simple things. Yeah. Not necessarily a trip for three days to the spa or something. That would when, awesome. when you look back at that season that was more, I mean, it sounds like kind of what you're saying is reactionary. Yeah. Would you have said, or would you say looking back, that that was not really a season of flourishing or that flourishing looked different for you in that season? I don't think that was a season of flourishing, but I definitely think it was a season of growth and Mm. learning and 
I'm glad I've had those experiences, but I would not describe it as flourishing at all. Experimenting, discovering, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. cementing who I am because I came out of, I have a very big, forceful mother (laughs) and I'm an only child. So I grew up in a house with this very powerful personality and I also have a powerful personality, (laughs) but I definitely took a backseat to her. Um, and went to university straight out of high school and didn't really know who I was and university straight out of high school didn't help that at all. Yeah. (laughs) And then I went traveling when I was 21, I moved to France and that was the start of what was almost 15 years of basically traveling which really helped me uncover who I am independently, what I like, what I don't like, what I value, what are my values. Mm. Um, From a perspective, a global perspective. Yeah. Yeah, it really humbled me a lot. Um, I was really lonely a lot, so Mm. I learned about the need for connection. Um, I learned a lot, a lot more than a podcast is worth, you know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I wouldn't say that it was a time of flourishing because I – just because maybe of what my definition of flourishing is. No. Which, yes, which is – yeah, I I think balance is the word that comes to mind. I was swinging like a pendulum pretty hard Mm -hmm. in my 20s with really high highs, like vibrating at that really high level, bouncing off the walls, constantly moving, 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 and then long periods of self-imposed kind of isolation and reflection, Mm -hmm. which was really helpful for my journey um, and very confronting sometimes. But I never, oh, very rarely in that decade did I have a balanced, harmonious middle space where I was able to comfortably sit and have a foot in both of those places some days, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's an interesting thing. You know, I'm thinking of as a, a therapist thinking of the wide variety of ages of people that I see as well. And I think that that's something that perhaps the twenties is for discovering, right? What is the center? Because whether or not you maintain your adventure and your experimentation and whatever into your further adulthood after your twenties, I think that that is the time that really establishes your knowledge of who you are Mm -hmm. in that adventurous way. And without that how could you find the center like how would you know the averaging out right Mm -hmm. but it sounds like your awareness of what center looks like has a lot to do with stability even though that doesn't necessarily mean being planted in the same place forever or you know removing those options that you yeah liked before it's just you maybe orient yourself towards them differently definitely i would definitely say that that Um, this is the longest I've lived anywhere since I moved to France in Mm. 2005. Um, how long has it been here? I've been living in, well, I've been in St. Louis for almost five years, Mm. but in the States for about six. Mm -hmm. And it was really, really, really challenging at first because 
part of how I react to feeling a funk coming on is by injecting excitement and newness. And I am so comfortable walking into a new place and a new culture and a new language and new foods. Yeah. That is like my husband would be quite challenged by that, I think. Nevertheless, he's going to move to Australia with me in a few years. So good for him for trying. <laughs> yes. But maybe I've practiced it, but maybe it was just innate. Mm. I meet people well. I love trying new things. And that newness fills my cup in a way that balances me out. Yeah. And I've really, I've worked with my therapist a lot on finding joy and <laughs> the remedy to funk, to the funk, <laughs> through everyday life here. Yeah. Um, and kind of really just saying you've really used one tool. What are the other tools that you have that can help you feel less stuck in the mud is the way that I always describe it. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I think getting some perspective on the seasonality, the the swings and roundabouts and the ups and downs of life is really helpful because I can say two things are true. Right now I'm, I'm in a really great place, so I can say two things were true like a year ago. I really love my life here and I have really itchy feet to get away and yeah. try something new. <laughs> and so then how do you say, okay, well, getting away is not an option so what can I do in my life that I love here that will fill my cup and help me thrive? Mm -hmm. And then it's just a matter of uncovering that and, and finding some things, experimenting with it. Yeah. When, and knowing yourself a bit more, like, about what what is that? You have yeah. to know that. <laughs> Which takes trial and error. Yeah, to <laughs> totally. Definitely. You know, we have talked in previous episodes and we mentioned right before we started recording about these five dimensions of wellness. And I know that you connect to that idea. Yeah. And perhaps also what you're talking about is looking at those different categories as you figure out how to respond to that time. Definitely. What, what types of things have you connected with that have really met you in those five kind of categories or buckets, so to speak? Yeah. Um, so I talk about, um, things that kind of fill me up, you know, mm. that, yeah, fill my cup, Psst, plural. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I know that social or con connection with people is a part of that for me. So am I spending too much time at home with my kids and my husband who works from home and is an introvert mm -hmm. and not spending enough time scratching my extrovert itch mm -hmm. or talking to friends and filling that cup up and, and maintaining and growing those relationships outside of my kind of nuclear family, which when you've got young kids, I think is really easy to just get sucked into that. There's so much to do and little people need you all the time. Yeah. And for me, that's definitely, that's usually the case. Like I can, when I'm feeling not very fulfilled and maybe like I'm disappearing into motherhood versus being bliss as a whole and a mother is a part of that, 
then I usually get to step back and say, you know, I haven't been to dinner with anyone for a while. Like I haven't gone for a coffee or a walk or there's that element of it. So I just actually went back to Australia because I needed to see people that knew me before I lived in America. Yeah. Like people that I've been friends with since I was 10, you know, people that have known me since birth. Yeah. It's just a really easy shorthand I don't think it was even necessarily about the Australian aspect of it. It's more that I was craving that touchstone of people that have just got that frame of reference. So that was important to notice. Um, And then also I have a friend who's known me. Mm, It'll be going on 15 years now, but she lives in Tennessee. So we're going this weekend because I I do have people here that, you know, have known me a bit longer and... Maybe the connection is a bit, not deeper, just wider. Does that make sense? Like that frame of reference is... um, Like it encompasses more of you. Yeah, of who I am. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of people that know me here in the States and specifically in St. Louis only know me as a mum. Right. Only know me as an expat in the States. I also, I don't know how you call your cups, (laughs) but... I look to at things that fill me up that are like hobbies, mm. um, like cooking mm. or um, reading, riding my bike, going for a hike, camping, um, live music was a big one. And maybe I think physical activity and like moving, like how do I feel and how am I connected in my body Yeah, and hobbies is like, they overlap. So camping is one thing for me, but hiking and going to ecstatic dance or something are physical, (laughs) but they overlap a bit, you know? Mm -hmm. So kind of leaning into like, is there a gap in that? And there usually is if I'm feeling like I'm down in a funk or have I overextended myself? Like, did I take a tap class and a ceramics class and I have to cook dinner and... I'm rush, rush, rushing, which I did. I signed up for a yoga class, but it was at night. And I found like I was buzzing until 11 p.m. or something because I was just so frantically trying to finish my afternoon with my kids, feed them, help my husband kind of get them down, race off to yoga and then try and zen (laughs) and then come back and like, oh, I still need to do this. And, you know, Mm. so... It goes both ways. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I look at health. Am I taking my supplements? Am I drinking enough water? Have I been um, emotionally chowing down on, like, chocolate is my thing Mm. or, like, cheesy carbs, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that when I crave those things too, I now know to say, "Mm -mm, okay, that's a real emotional response for me. That's about needing. Right. Um, like a little clue to you that something mm-hmm. emotional is happening yeah. for you. Yeah, because mm. I feed my body really well in my 30s. I now know how to do that. It took me a long time. Mm. <laughs> took me having kids really to work out intuitive eating and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I nourish my body really well when I'm balanced and when I'm – you know, I keep talking about when I'm depressed or when I'm like vibrating at that super high level. I if I'm vibrating super high, I don't eat and that, and I lose a lot of weight and I'm 
maybe just like eating sugar or fruit or something to just get quick energy. Yeah. Um, and people always say, which is why you shouldn't comment on people's body. You look great. You've lost weight. (laughs) And it's like, oh, you don't know. Yeah. I'm like, it's not a good sign. Actually, (laughs) it's not a great sign for me. It's like angular face and people are like, I love it. Wow. Like, Mm-mm. We're not gonna like it then in a few months when I'm happy and fat. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the same with it's the opposite. I like, I like sit and eat cheesy carbs and chocolate and kettle chips and stuff when I'm feeling the funk of yeah. depression and slowness. So if that happens, I check in with health. How am I going? Have I skipped three months of acupuncture? Oh my gosh, I have. Hmm. Have I stopped going to the Cairo? Like I stopped making appointments for things that are physical self-care, self, self-care with health or something. Yeah. Stopped swimming, stopped walking, you know? And then what is my other cup? I sometimes look at my physical space around me. Have you ever felt like you can zhuzh your room or your house and like give your physical space like a spring clean and change your mood like the feng shui of your energy almost yeah Yeah. new curtains a couple Mm -hmm. more plants Mm -hmm. finally framing those photos of the kids that we took four years ago (laughs) you know my husband will organize he like lets things get really chaotic and then to bring himself back to center he'll spend like a full afternoon or a full day, very precisely organizing things, playing music, and just that's a real gift to himself. Mm. And I do something similar, I suppose, and I'll organize my bookshelf by color and buy some new or put on some new bed sheets and Mm -hmm. maybe move the aspect of the bed around or something, just kind of assessing like what... (laughs) It's easier than moving to Paris. You know what I mean? Like, right. But it's still bringing the newness into uh-huh. your experience. Yeah. Yeah. Like literally opening a window and like letting some fresh air blow, but like figuratively as well. So I, I, can't, I do kind of do like a little checklist of ways that I might have been missing giving myself some of the things I needed. And then one of the bigger things is that my therapist and I are still trying to tease out. It's kind of like I wear multiple hats. There's the traveler. Mm -hmm. There's the mum, and I suppose slash wife, although Pat and I have our own relationship separate from the kids, you know, but um, family maybe. And then there's professional I think sometimes I fall into a funk and I'm not flourishing because I'm not contributing to the household in a working way. Hmm. I'm still teasing that out with my therapist. It's not like I need it to be even, it's not about finances. I could make a dollar a week and feel like I did it Yeah. or volunteer or something, you know, but there's a part of me that wants to work towards something. In a way that raising my family doesn't fulfill me in. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, it's definitely amazing work being a mom, and I think I'm doing okay jobs some days. <laughs> um, but there is an aspect of working at something that really lights you up, like being yeah. a birth and postpartum doula, 
really lights me up. For you, does it connect to like an idea of purpose? Mm-hmm. Maybe. Is that what it is? Um, not that not that the other roles aren't purposeful, but like I know what you mean, that that contribution feeling mm-hmm. of I'm building this in this place. Yeah. And it's it's like a different aspect of myself than when I like sometimes I think I'm really nailing this parenthood thing today. Mm-hmm. Like I did great mothering and caretaking of these little people. It's not like I don't get a fulfillment from being a mom. It's just right. that it's a different box. It lives yeah. in a different part of me. And maybe as I walk down the motherhood journey, I'm learning a little bit more about or leaning into the idea that becoming a mother adds a wing onto the house that you already lived in. It's not it's not where you now moved to live forever. Yeah. Um I am still the to go with that metaphor, like the house I built. And then I added motherhood. But it's an expansion. It is yeah. an expansion of who you are instead of a revision of who you are to just have motherhood. Yeah. You know, you don't erase yeah. the the person who maybe was working, maybe wasn't, but had other things going on and dreams and friendships and relationships and mm. um, needs and all of that. So um, – the working part, it's definitely not about making money. It's not about an idea of, you know, quote unquote success. Mm-hmm. And a whole other tangent is the American idea of quote unquote success and the kind of treadmill about that. And yeah, different kind of cultures the, have very the different hustle culture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's dangerous for mental health, I think. Oh, yeah. And you see right now in France, in Paris, and specifically, they're taken to the street because they're going to, they're proposing to raise the retirement age from 62 to 64. And they're going bonkers about it. And they have a 35 hour work week and they stick to it. They have these long lunches. I lived in France and I taught at a school and I, I loved it. And listening to them talk about from birth being in that culture what what work is what balance is what flourishing is and it's definitely not you know wall street right you know penthouse apartment millions of dollars fancy car right or i worked 80 hours oh i only worked 70 dang he's ahead of me right Mm. always a competition always a a grind yeah so the work thing is I don't know. See how I can't put my finger quite on it succinctly. Mm-hmm. Me and my therapist talk about it. But mm-hmm. I definitely know that I will step out of work to have a baby actively by choice. And it will definitely impact my mental health. Even with the knowledge that I am choosing to spend this time with my beautiful baby. That will help me deal with it. But it will it will also mean that there's a big part of me that's not flourishing. Yeah. And I will eagerly await the day when I can, because I I usually nurse my children over a year, mm-hmm. I will await the day when I can take birth clients again, postpartum clients, and it's not about getting out of the house even. It's about wearing that hat, yeah. going off and helping with my knowledge in something that I'm so passionate about. Yeah. Finding something you love is really 
helpful. I think that there's something to be said about like the idea of being able to flex a muscle that is uh, a skill that you can bring to the world that you will probably mm-hmm. bring in a different way than any other person. Mm-hmm. I'm a therapist much differently than your therapist is a therapist, mm-hmm. I'm sure. And yet we both meet our clients where they are because we're the right person for them. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's maybe part of it too is like, is there something you can feel the tangibleness of what it or tangibility of what it is that you, the niche that you fit into. Yeah. And like being able to keep that muscle working and warm feels so satisfying to you. And then the moments that it has to atrophy for a little while, of course, that's impactful in a negative way because you want it to be continuing to be strengthened. Yeah. And there's um, something really gratifying too about putting your work, whatever your work is, out into the world and having it received. I, I... saw an interview with a street sweeper mm-hmm. in France. So how do you think his work is received? It's not by like my work is, you know, these effusively grateful new parents yeah. who I'm thinking of my postpartum work um, where you come in and kind of answer some questions and maybe um, really just support them exactly as you were saying in the, in the place that they are in the way that they need and it's so gratifying but you also get that immediate like actors on a stage get applause you know but this guy this French guy was talking about loving his job and just really wanting to work outside and really loving being out in all the seasons and and giving back to his community how gorgeous how lovely to to keep the neighborhood tidy and clean every day with this little wooden broom. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was it was so philosophical in the yeah. way that the French are. But it doesn't your work doesn't need to be like you're an open heart surgeon or anything. You just find something that helps you flourish, that fills you up. Yeah, not something that is laudable in society per se not something that gets you accolades or has power but something that is satisfying yeah whatever that is Mm -hmm. do you want to be president you know go Mm -hmm. for it I don't (laughs) but what about those people who are like preschool teachers or what about you know people that manufacture things that that are just slogging away every day so that we have all the things that we have yeah. I'm so grateful that I finally found something that I love to do after so many years of I'm good at this and I can get a paycheck from it and it will help me live my life. It feels that's satisfying in a different way to be self-sustaining mm-hmm. and um, able to treat myself to things because I'm getting a paycheck and someone has valued my contribution to give me a paycheck, you know, yeah. not that there's no value in having a job that you're not, you know, passionate about, but then sometimes it can be a bit draining and you need to offset a job like that with, you know, finding the thing that lights you up. And then I finally found the thing that lights me up that I get paid to do too. So How did you find it? I had... Um, a lot of friends I'm the last of my 
friends in Australia, really, to have kids. So I was around a lot of them when they had theirs and just saw how ridiculous postpartum, like the fourth trimester was. Mm. Just 12, 13, 14 prenatal visits and then like abandonment. Mm. (laughs) You have a baby and it's all about the baby. And varying degrees of suffering, but no one flourishing, no one thriving, except the baby who was the main concern. And I guess I did the job of postpartum doula for a few of those friends without kind of knowing that that was a thing, moving in and cooking and just, I was always financially poor but really time rich because of the way I had framed my life so I would move into someone's spare room and say I'll help and I'm a great cook I learned at a cooking school being the kitchen assistant just by osmosis almost so I cooked a bunch of food and I love holding a baby and I don't know babies came a bit naturally not as a parent, but as a visitor. It's very different when you're the parent, it's 24-7. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and I think I was helpful, but also I got a first-hand look at, like, how much work it is and how emotional it is and mm. how hard it can be and how there's not a lot of help. And there's not that community, that village. It takes a village. Well, where's the village? And people back off when you have a baby because they know you're tired and the baby might be awake or asleep or in a fussy mood or they don't know what to do. And that's not anyone's fault other than we don't talk about it enough. Yeah. And I I talked about it. And I love women. I've always loved women. So Mm -hmm. women's spaces, women's stories, women in community. So it was kind of an extension of that. And then when I met my husband... um, It was actually on the back of a self-discovery trip of six months. Took myself around to a few different places in the world where I thought, maybe this is my next stop, to live, to put down roots. Yeah. And I was looking to stop doing what I had been doing for work and start doing something else. So when I met him, I had actually just visited a friend who was having a terrible postpartum and she had obvious postpartum depression even to a lay person and she was just drowning and I googled um, lactation being an international board certified lactation consultant and you know how do you do that Um, because that I had heard about and through that google search basically I found breastfeeding support and birth doulas and then postpartum doulas So I certified as a postpartum doula and breastfeeding counsellor. Like that's where my passion is. Yeah. And then I just bundled it with the birth doula certificate too so I know all the physiology and all of the things about helping that space as well. Everyone knows about the birth doula but it's taking some time to educate people about the postpartum doula stuff but – yeah, I think maybe knowing you is the first I really knew. I mean, not that I've been in a motherhood space anyway, but yeah, it's not talked about a lot, no. the post-birth care. No, it's not. And 
if you have sisters, aunts, family, it is a very women-centric space. Mm. I'm, I, I'm sure that men can engage and are welcome, but it's not a traditionally male space to, you know, have a baby to be. They have their own very important work. Yeah. The, the men, I'm saying specifically, but it could also be the birth partner. Mm-hmm. You know, there's often the keeping <laughs> keeping the home fire burning, you know. Yeah. Feeding the mum so the mum can feed the baby or feeding the birthing person so the mum, so the birthing person can feed the baby. Yeah. And, um, they have their own concerns and um, issues and struggles and needs, um, which as a postpartum doula, I get to come in and support everyone. It's not just the birthing person. You can kind of see when just the gaps that need filling. Yeah, that's what I was going to say is it's kind of a specialty in looking for those gaps and how can we then build in a, a meeting for those needs? And help them flourish. If we're yeah. talking about flourishing, then kind of leave that postpartum space at about three or four months maybe of postpartum and I mean my goal and every time I've had a client this has happened so I'm lucky but um leaving them if not perfectly then getting there Mm -hmm. you know the first three or four months can be tough Mm -hmm. four months a lot happens to the baby that can throw you for a six. It's a yeah. cricketing. That's an Australian term, I think. <laughs> just, say, I know what you mean, but that I've is never... a cricketing term from my <laughs> grandfather. But um, it's it's important too, I think, if I'm talking about the postpartum space. Mm-hmm. To you know, when I was talking earlier, I was talking about my whole life mm-hmm. and like a really grand idea of flourishing. But there are those like micro spaces like the fourth trimester. You might not be flourishing at work. (laughs) You know, your marriage might not be suffering or flourishing, just maintaining. Mm -hmm. But there are ways within that space to find balance, harmony, um, and feel like as parents you are on the journey towards flourishing. Yeah. And you just take that little snapshot of that time. And um, sometimes you just have to focus out and sometimes you have to focus in. Yeah. In order not to get lost. You can't, when you have a new baby, I don't think you can focus on everything. You can't pour into your friendship cups. Right. Well, and, you know, I think that brings out a good point that flourishing, you know, I've said this before on this podcast, like it's not a destination. And so what flourishing really looks like in seasons is being responsive to the needs in that season. It's flourishing for you today is not what flourishing might look like for you in six months or one year ago. Mm -hmm. And how, how do we let ourselves have eyes for that? And and build towards that wellness, even if it's a low season, knowing what might bring us some wellness in that season, not having the same expectations of what that might look like in a higher season. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, you can't, I mean, I don't think, I can't expect of myself to feel as good as I do now at the beginning of spring, when I've had a really beautiful pregnancy, when I'm working a lot. Like, I, I, so many of my cups are full right now. It's a great season. Mm-hmm. And then not that having a baby's like, horrible, but I will be depleted. So those cups that are full are going to start to feel emptier. And how is that going to snowball a little bit emotionally? Not to mention the hormone shifts that just inherently happen. So you just do feel a bit baby blues Mm. is the first three weeks. If it goes on longer than that, it's talked about as postpartum depression. Um, And the baby blues is really natural and it's hormonal. It's almost universal and it is about, you know, it took you 10 months to get there hormonally and now you're stepping down. It takes you a little while to do that too. And then some people, for whatever reason, and there are so many reasons that can trigger it, also have postpartum depression. Mm. And I think if I, I would be doing myself a real disservice if I had the expectation in six months that I feel like I do today. Yeah. Um, but it's hard to be in that that place. I'll yeah. be in really high highs, beautiful days with the kids, really lovely mornings with snuggles and kind of milky moments with a baby, but then like juxtaposed with just like three kids crying or right. something or, you yeah. know, feeling the pinch of like not working and um not sleeping and so like a little bit less money coming in so a little bit less luxury so but also a little bit less sleep and all that stuff yeah you have to take it for what it is and that will be a real that will be a different season for me for sure and I think I just have to revel in seasons like this where I feel great mm-hmm. <laughs> and like like a little squirrel, you know, kind of stock up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but take this time for me specifically because I'm moving into a season, like I can tell I'm going to move into a season of depression. Some people have seasonal depression. I mean, I do a bit too. Yeah. It's not terrible, but um, it is good to have, those plans if you know you're gonna have like if you're cyclical and you are gonna go up and down up and down like if you're in an up saying like okay maybe I need to plan like a weekend away for three months from now or like having my trip to Australia planned for the middle of St. Louis winter was really powerful for my mental health oh yeah and talking to people about how hard the immediate postpartum is helps because then people know that I'm having a baby and it will be hard for me my parents are coming I've hired a postpartum doula I'm like doing the things that I can it won't stop me from going there mentally but it might buoy you a little bit Uh uh-huh and it might stop it being so severe like it was last time in COVID because surely that was so bad for the reasons I mentioned before. Oh, yeah. Right. Well, because, you know, we literally live next door. I couldn't even, no. for at least the first month or two, hardly even yeah. look at the baby. I mean, I could. No, but, totally. you know, there was so much restriction around 
your experience just because of lack of safety. Yep. And then we finally like lit a fire and sat out the back separated. But at least, I mean, that was so nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, We're running out of time, but I'm curious thinking about, I don't know which way you would want to take this, but either young bliss, a young version of you that didn't have all the self-knowledge you have, or a version of you that was in a lower place, like what would you say, knowing what you know about how you flourish now, like how would you encourage that version of you? Mm. I think I would tell younger Bliss who hadn't discovered this yet that to strip away some of the things and really maybe investigate different feelings when you have them. Mm. Yeah, to be more introspective, I suppose, because I did spend my younger days vibrating around. But one of the ways that was most powerful for me to work out what works and what doesn't work, what what brings me true joy or balance or, you know, discomfort and sadness, anxiety, is by sitting in the feeling intentionally. So I feel great. Why do I feel great today? You know, it's because I did some gardening and my Mm. hands were in the soil and my feet were bare. Simple things that I now know about myself that like really grounding into grass and soil with my feet does something for me. Simple, simple. It doesn't have to be massive. I now know because I've lent into it that a bath is a huge, um, it's a way for me to regulate really quickly. Mm really quickly if I need it, you know. Um, And in winter, a really cosy woolen jumper, what you call them sweatshirts, (laughs) a really cosy woolen sweatshirt feels like a bath. Like it, it does the same thing for me. So I have one gorgeous chunky woolen Mm. sweater that comes out on days when I'm like (sighs) but it's all it's little ways to if it's if it's a staircase and there's a landing in the middle which is balance I don't think I slide down the banister into depression or race up into crazy hyper you know vigilance or whatever I'm on the landing and I take a step at a time, down or up, you know? And yeah. so those little steps are the jumper, the yeah. um, having some plants in my life, moving my body. Yeah. And taking the time to notice, oh, I think I'm a couple steps away from the landing. Yeah. What action should I take to move me back towards it? Yeah. Or I'm on the landing now. How lovely. Mm. I feel super balanced. Mm -hmm. Great. Or I am one step from the basement. Yeah. So I better call my therapist and book in that appointment. 
and I better book in acupuncture and I think I need to cancel those plans I had on the weekend or make them more low-key like a video and a takeout versus a club yeah. or a restaurant or a bar. Yeah. Things like that. Yeah. Just leaning into those sensations when you have them. It helped for me to realize what was making me anxious, worried. Um, you know, when you have plans and then you're dreading the plans. Absolutely. How did I get there? <laughs> yeah. Like I have no qualms with all the people in my life are people that I can say, hey, I really, I am just socially so burnt out. I can't do this tonight and either cancel altogether and reschedule or could we change it to videos or whatever, um, DVDs. Yeah. Um, but really noticing, like, how did I get here to this, to dreading the plans with my friends who I love? Yeah. You know, um, that was powerful because it happened all the time and I never moved past just the action of cancelling it. So it was happening again and again and again because I didn't dig in. So I would tell younger bliss to dig into feelings good and bad so that you can work out how to give yourself more of the good or get back there mm. to the good and to avoid getting to the place where you feel anxious, worried, strained, stressed. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> Thank you so much for... Um speaking about this with me and it's always fun to talk deeply with a friend yeah. about things that we both love yeah so thanks for asking thanks it for was joining. great I love that you're doing this <laughs> it's very fun it, I think for me it is one of those things that contributes to balance mm-hmm. it's it's it like indescribably like you said feeds something a muscle I didn't know I loved using so great I love that for you and for everyone listening. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks everyone for listening and we'll see you next time. Mm